Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body-positive, sex-positive show with your host, Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Welcome to your bonus edition of Fat Chicks on Top. Today, we're here with Dr. Renair Amen and co-creation talking about being non-binary. Non-binary is a term for gender that you're seeing more and more used in the culture, and recent studies have shown that up to 10% of all people under the age of 30 now identify as non-binary. This is a new term with a broad form of definition, and not everybody means the same thing by it. So here are my conversations about gender with two of my guests who identify as non-binary themselves. We start with Dr. Renera Min, and then stay with us for co-creation. So you mentioned the term genderqueer. Not all of our listeners are going to know what that means. Do you want to explain it just a little bit, Farrell? Gender fluid. It, it just basically means that I, it's hard for me to identify within the normalities of one gender. So for me, a lot of times I feel very male, regardless of what I look like. I feel very male. And there may but there may be some days I feel very female. So I kind of run up and down the scope. And, and I've had people say, oh, that don't mean anything. I, sometimes I dress like a boy. Sometimes I dress like a girl. And I try to explain to them that it's deeper than that because it's related to the gender itself. It's not, it's, it's not as black and white as it seems. So it falls in this weird, it falls in that category, category um, gender nonconforming. Like you just, you're not within the confines of what people think you should or how they think you should behave. It's deeper than I can just put on a men's shirt and feel okay today. At least for me, there's a disconnect for your body. Like, is there a day I could put these double D's up on the shelf <laughs> and I would feel more like me? Yeah, exactly. When did you start coming out to yourself about being, you know, in the gay community and being gender fluid and all that? Well, I've been way out probably since in my late, <laughs> in my late teens, but I have always struggled with where did I belong? Because it, it can cause an issue, especially when you're dating people and they start dating you one way or getting in a relationship with you and you look aggressive or you look masculine centered or whatever case may be. And then a year or two in, now you're in skirts, you're in heels, you're in, for me, probably since the age of 22, 23, you'll have seasons where I'm like this, and then seasons where I'm like this, and seasons where I'm so it's hard to be able to operate in that because once someone boxes you in, that's the way that it is. So I think maybe about four years ago, I came into the understanding that nothing was wrong with me because I started to feel like something was wrong with me because I didn't fit, and especially in, in, in communities of color, like you're supposed to fit somewhere. And I love the young generations or the next, these generations that's coming up because they're kind of like kicking that door down and saying, I could be whoever, however I want to be. But, you know, older generations, especially people that's around 40 and up, we were supposed to fit a certain kind of way. So I think probably in the past four years, about four years, four and a half years, I kind of came to a point where I said, okay, I was talking to a transgender friend of mine and they were talking about 
gender nonconforming and gender fluidity and being gender queer and all of that. And as they were explaining it, I said, oh, that sounds like me. And it, it was I was able to find my place inside of that. Wow. You are still part of the church, a community of faith. You still do work in there. And you came out within the realm of also being in a black church and and black communities of faith. How were you received? And how did you go about getting comfortable with yourself in within a structure that is not necessarily very open to gay women? Well, I came up in the traditional church, Baptist church, but I was long out of church when I finally came to let my family know and, and let everyone know about my sexuality. Now, I'm currently not in church. I'm currently not in church about maybe it's been almost three years now that I took my collar off. But when I entered ministry, I entered ministry in a affirming, a progressive, inclusive denomination. So at the time, there, were no, there was no issues with my sexuality because it was accepted. Now, there were issues with <laughs> people in the traditional churches trying to understand. And I was in when I went to seminary, there were definitely some issues when I started seminary. Other, there were definitely some issues with some people. But I had spent a few years educating myself on some of the biblical principles and things as it applied to me. So I don't want to get into a big discussion with people about it. And so I was armed, if you understand what I'm saying. A little differently. So when people came at me with, well, the Bible says, and you should be doing this and that, I just be like, okay, so do you want to talk about this or do you want to debate about this? Because we can talk about it. I'm always open to discussing, but if you want to debate about it, I'm not doing that. And it, but it did take you a while of your own research and study to get clear on all of that. Oh, absolutely. My, my, like I said, I came up strict Baptist. I went to Christian schools, sung in choirs, my friends were um, very traditional Christian. Like I had to, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been comfortable with being myself because I, it, it was indoctrinated, you know, that I was this abomination and this and this, that and the third. And so it took, a, it took a long time to undo that. And when I was licensed at the time, my mom did come, which was like, <laughs> like Jesus coming, you know. <laughs> It has definitely been a reason why I took some time off. I take time off when when I get slammed a certain kind of way, because if I'm angry and I was very angry when I left ministry, I just I couldn't function the way that I would have wanted to. Plus, my own spirituality was evolving. So here I was. I just graduated my master's in religious education. I was starting my doctorate and now I was out of the church. And so I'm just like, word. <laughs> This how this is going to go down. And, and so it was a lot of unpacking. It was a lot of allowing myself to be angry. And I think it took me probably until maybe about six months ago to kind of get to a place where you could actually say to me, can you pray for me? And I wouldn't be like, I don't think that's the best idea, you know. <laughs> Hi, you need music, a sound guy, or a podcast done? Well, why don't you call a serious production? Hi, my name is Sharon. 
founder of Sirius Production, a mobile DJ company and audio production for podcasts and music. Our DJ service handles birthdays, graduations, weekend weddings, weekday weddings, speaking events, etc. Our ASP staff has 15 years in DJ, audio, music, and podcasts. Our ASP staff will help you to create a combination of services which meet your unique needs. We can provide custom price bids for your jobs. We offer discounts for multiple services, repeated customers, and special sales. Please ask the staff about repeated business and discounts. Our podcast special we have now is recording, editing, mixing, and uploading up to 100 minutes of recording for $500. For more information, please call 707-867-1411. That's 707-867-1411. Or come to our website, AsiriusProduction.com. That's AsiriusProduction.com. Can't wait to hear from you. Thank you. So you identify as non-binary, and we've been having folks on the show across the um, gender identity spectrum. You want to talk a little bit about what being non-binary means to you? Surely. And I want to give you a little moment of uh, kudos. Like in the very beginning, I I heard you work through the pronouns and you did really awesome. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah. Heck yeah. And I think it's, it's like kind of those moments of just like working through it and, and being real with each other that are really valuable. So I wanted to note that. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. So I... My non-binary identity has uh, gone through many evolutions, but uh, in 2007, I specifically started really feeling like I was more, just bigger, just more complex. And that got to be kind of a a big, overwhelming feeling. And uh, I was very fortunate in that I have a LGBT summer camp that I've been able to attend uh, for since I was a teenager. It's called Camp Ten Trees. It's in Seattle, Washington. It has multiple sessions for queer, queer youth, trans youth, and children with uh, LGBT and non-traditional families. So I got to go there and experience a large array of queerness. And at the time, the term was not non-binary. Uh, we had a whole lot of different terms and a whole lot of different pronouns. And it was, you know, we were teenagers at summer camp, so we took every advantage of our exploration. And through a couple of years, I really got comfortable with the idea that I was fluid and that fluidity, I could flow, you know, in and around this whole gender playfulness. And since then, that's always sort of been how I've, how I've rolled. And at a certain point, everybody kind of came together and got on board with the idea. Similarly with like non-monogamous, it's not about the specific words that we're using. It's about the idea that we're rejecting the binary or that we are simply not the binary. <laughs> it's really interesting to like just be reaching 30s and seeing a movement that has already evolved in such a way that I feel a part of its history 
um, that people are actively asking me about my pronouns whom I've never met and I didn't have to have the conversation with. Have, like hearing about people just you know, talking about how to work with pronouns in secondary conversations as I'm, I'm in restaurants. It's incredible to watch and, and be a part of. And, you know, it helps my little like angry, frustrated teenager self, you know, feel a little bit better that there's been a lot of movement. And just, just, you know, for your listeners, the idea of non-binary just being that society built these ideas of gender. It's a whole bunch of attributes that we like bifurcated and are trying to, trying to explain our whole world with. And to me, that seems kind of silly. You know, if you're looking at other people and you see a quality or an attribute in them, like speak to that. Attraction and relations and all of that are a lot more complicated when it comes to that, which is why you have fantastic educators and, and, you know, people to talk to. But it's really about seeing people for people. You know, my pansexuality also came from the same place. It's about a personality and a human spirit, if you're into that, and really like looking to see how that person wants to be seen. You know, it's one of those common courtesy. I was talking with somebody about pronouns the other day, and he's this very, you know, pragmatic individual. And he goes, well, yeah, if somebody tells me something that's core about them, that's vulnerable, it's just common courtesy to respect that. And I, I like lost myself over that. I was like, yeah, how is it? How did you say that so concisely? I've been working for 10 years to say that, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that we're getting to a point that there are, there are concepts that people are able to attach to, hopefully, that are a little more understandable. Well, and then, oh, you know, it's a conversation I've had with a, a couple of folks. You know, I'm agender and fit on the, the non-binary spectrum, and I'm also, like, easily 15 years older than you. So when I was initially working through, okay, so, you know, the binary doesn't work for me. There, there weren't terms there. They didn't exist. And um, when I would, you know, go in to try and work through it with a therapist, it's like, well, then you're just trans, but choose the other side of the binary. And it didn't work. And now I see people coming out. Well, we don't need labels and everything. Do you think having now, and now there's dozens upon dozens of, gender identity, gender expression, all these ways people identify themselves. Do you think having the labels are important or is this just a pit stop, you know, kind of a phase we're going through as a society before we just obliterate the binary and we stop gendering stuff? Mm. Ooh, ooh, big question time. Uh-huh. Uh, I love it. So my bio mom, Angie, and I get into this all the time uh, because I love labels. Like I, uh, I realized I want to collect all the labels. Um, <laughs> so you don't have to stick to one label. Mm-hmm. So uh, that I see them in abundance, and uh, my mom sees them uh, as limiters. So I think, like, it depends on your viewpoint, and it depends on how you're using the label. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I found a lot of power in figuring out like these little tiny, like, the, finding my own words for the feelings was really important to me, and then identifying with them was really important to me as a part of integration. So I do think that as a society, we are doing that. But I think that sort of integration that I heard you talking about is a longer haul process. I do, however, think that the gender revolution is coming. It will also smash the patriarchy. Like, and so if, if I have one like little soapbox moment, it's 
get behind the gender revolution. It includes you. You can be who you need to be to, no matter what your gender is, even if you are this as the day is long. Mm-hmm. Please get behind the gender revolution. You know, it, it's common courtesy. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. But I, to, to answer your question concisely, I think that it is a necessary part in the process. And even if it is very frustrating and confusing. And I think you distinguish two parts. The finding a term that you can identify with that gives some structure and meaning um, to help you define who you are versus integrating. And I see it in gender. I see it in sexual identity. I see it in romantic attachment identity is people will find a term that describes them like I'm polyamorous. I'm submissive. I'm non-binary. But they they go with a very simplistic definition of what that means, and then they try to work towards the ideal. Well, and that's a holdover from monogamous centric culture, because in like we were give y'all were I wasn't given it, like, um, <laughs> but y'all given this this cookie cutter mm-hmm. that is an ideal and doesn't teach you how to be critical about it. Exactly. Right. And when you don't make the ideal, you feel like you fall short, and a lot of people will blame themselves. People who are monogamous, who then have any type of sexual or romantic attachment outside of their primary relationship, feel like they've failed. I know people who have identified poly for a long time, they meet somebody, and they really stop looking for other attachments, and then they feel like they failed at being poly. It's, that's such a burden to carry. I, yeah, I hear you you talking about that, because the identifying, when when I was talking about it as a teenager... That identification brought me power. You know, that structure and that solidity and understanding allowed me to harness my power and be confident and be resilient in the face of things that told me I was wrong. So, but with the, but when, when it's also an externalized force like that, as you say, you're always comparing yourself against it and therefore it creates shame cycles like you were talking about, about feeling bad. So, once you find your power, that's when you got to integrate it and hold your power, you know, and like and, and give it back to yourself. Self-love, too, you know, so that you can you can hold it with security. This has been a Fat Chicks on Top presentation with your co-hosts, Auntie Vice and Wendy Lewis. Sound provided by Sharon Smith of A Serious Productions. All things Fat Chicks can be found on our website at fatchicksontop.com. That's fatchicksontop.com. Or check out our social media for more information. That's Fat Girls on Top on Twitter and Fat Chicks on Top on Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. Please review our previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or all podcast streaming services. Please support the Fat Chicks by buying us a tea or purchasing our merch on our website. And thank you for your support.